All right, if this is your first time, you did really pick a great Sunday to be here because we're starting a brand new series in the book of James called Faith in Motion. That's gonna be our summer series. And so this will take us all the way through uh, at least middle of August, maybe towards the end of August. And the, the book of James is truly one of the most hard-hitting, uh, practical, challenging books in all of scripture, right? Because James wants us to know that following Jesus it's an, it's an active faith, it's not a passive faith, right? It's not just this idea that when we follow Jesus, it's an intellectual belief system, so we just kind of assent to this idea that there's a God and he sent Jesus and he died and rose. And that's, that's great, but that's not what following Jesus is primarily. It's not just an intellectual belief system, it's actually a reorientation of our entire lives around the person of Jesus and the gospel of Jesus. And so James is just kind of a in-your-face guy, I'm gonna kick you in the teeth because I love you kind of guy. It's just that's the way he is. That's what the book is like. In fact, uh, the book of James has about 108 verses in the entire book. So it's not a terribly long book, but over 50 of those 108 verses are uh, imperative verses, right? They're, they're, com- they're command verses. They're, they're do this. They're live this way. You ought to do this in your life. And so James is gonna teach us throughout the course of this summer, he's gonna teach us how to walk through trials, for instance. We're gonna talk about that this morning. He's gonna teach us that we should watch our tongue. Like there's actual danger in our our words. It's not insignificant what we say in our lives. He's gonna teach us about that. He's gonna teach us that we should be about care for the poor. He's gonna teach us we should be doers, not just hearers of the word. So just immensely practical stuff. I think it's gonna be really good. Now, I know that some of you guys, just by your nature, your type A personalities, you love being challenged. If you're a list person and you just wanna list so you can go out and conquer the day, do what it says, you're gonna love this. You're gonna love the book of James. Now, the rest of you, maybe not so much, right? If, if you're kind of type B and you don't like being challenged and you don't like being pushed out of your comfort zone, um, you don't like lists, you hate lists. This is gonna be a, a challenging book for you, but I would argue, I would submit to you that just as necessary for you. Like we all need what James is gonna be giving us this summer. Uh, in fact, I uh, had a, a brother in the church uh, text me uh, this past week and he said, hey bro, the, the book of James is no joke. Are you ready for the emails? And I, and I started thinking about it and I was like, you know what, he, he's probably right. <laughs> like this, this is the type of book that probably will elicit some upset responses. And uh, so I just figured on the front end of the whole sermon series, I'm just gonna go ahead and, and give you my email address. It's gonna be on the screens. And so if you listen, if you need to get anything off your chest, <laughs> if you wanna complain about anything, all of your anger, all of your wrath, you just pour it right out. I will be reading that every, <laughs> every week. It's mcarlson at nlcca.org, all right? Now, James is written by the younger brother, really the half-brother of James. You guys, if, you know, or if you're familiar with the story after the virgin birth of Jesus, Mary and Joseph have a bunch of like just normal biological kids, right? We can infer from the gospels that Jesus probably had at least four brothers, and probably had at least a couple of sisters. And James was the oldest of those siblings, right? Now, I want you just to try to imagine for a moment what it would be like to grow up with Jesus in the house as one of your siblings, right? Now, just try try to imagine what that would be like. Like, I, I had one sibling growing up, a younger sister, and my sister was smarter than me, 
and she made better grades than I did, and she was definitely way stronger spiritually than I was growing up. She caused way less havoc and pain in my family's life. And I'm, I'm so grateful that my parents never came to me and verbally said, Chris, we just wish you were more like your sibling, even though I'm sure they thought that probably on a daily basis. So listen, I don't care how rough you think you had it being compared to your older brother or your younger sister or whoever, whoever it is, you got nothing on James, right? You got nothing on James, right? Every, every time, just imagine every time something breaks in the house, like who spilled the milk? Gee, we know it wasn't Jesus. James, James you got something to say? <laughs> we, we, who broke the TV? We know who it wasn't. James, time to fess up. And so it's, it's not surprising that we learn in the gospels that James actually rejected his older brother. Like he wasn't a believer until after the resurrection. In fact, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to hundreds of people and that he specifically appeared to his brother James. Now, I, I wish I could have just been a fly on the wall. I don't know what that encounter was like. I don't know if James was getting tucked into bed at night and all of a sudden there's a knock on the door and there's Jesus like, hey, bro, I'm back. I told you, I told you I'm God. I told you I'm gonna come back. But we don't know how that went down, but we do know that from that point forward, James completely flipped. I mean, his life just transformed, right? He turned into this incredibly ferocious follower of Jesus. We learn in the gospels, he became a pillar of the Jerusalem church, which was like the largest, strongest church in the world at that point in time. So listen, this is what happened. James went from being someone who was familiar with Jesus to someone who was sold out for Jesus. And some of you guys need to hear that. He went from someone who was familiar with Jesus, he grew up, he lived in the same house with him, to someone who was absolutely sold out in his faith for Jesus Christ. And my prayer is that this summer, that would happen for some of you. Because I'm convinced, room this size, the number of people that we have watching online on a weekly basis, there are more than just a few of us here who are in that same boat that James was. That we're familiar with Jesus, we're familiar about the life of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, maybe you grew up in church, but your life has never actually been reoriented around him and uh, his gospel, his good news. So I'm praying that would be the case for many of us this summer. Now, he's writing this letter to a bunch of Christians who have been scattered abroad because of persecution. And so he's writing to these believers who are suffering in just unimaginable ways through trials and pains and difficulties and temptations. And this is really a book about action. It's a book about authentic faith. It's a book about let's live out what we say we believe in our minds. And I think it's going to be really challenging and I think it's going to be uh, really good. So let's get after it, shall we? Verse one, James one, verse one. James writes this. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Now, when he, he writes that word dispersion, this is a, a word that's describing Jewish Christians who have been scattered by persecution, right? They've been dispersed. They've had to flee their hometowns. They've had to leave everything that they know and love because of their faith in Jesus. You can read about this event in Acts chapter 12, Herod really clamps down on the church, begins to persecute Christians. They have to scatter all over the Roman Empire. And so he's saying, this is who I'm writing to. I'm writing to believers who are suffering, who don't have all the answers, who are struggling with pain in their lives, and they're just trying to figure out how to wade their way through their faith. And he says, greetings to you. All right, that's how he starts it. Now, it's interesting, if you're familiar with the New Testament, uh, the Apostle Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament, and Paul usually starts off his letters with like these longer greetings, 
He typically starts off with a little bit of flowery language, and he talks about how he's thankful for these believers. Perhaps he talks about how he's praying for these believers, and he tends to slowly move in to the more serious content. That's the opposite of what James does, right? James is like, my name is James, the servant of Jesus. He just starts throwing haymakers. He just goes, he goes right at it, and I, and I love it. So look, look at verse two. My name is James, let's go. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. So James is saying, hey, listen, when you meet trials, not if, right? And so if you're out there and you're thinking, man, I wonder who Chris is talking to. I wonder who's about to go through a trial. He's talking to you, right? James is talking to you. When you face various trials, right? So when life gets messy, because the reality is you all know, life happens in the dirt of this broken world for all of us. If you're older than like 10, 11, 12 years old, you know what I'm talking about. Life can be hard, it's full of trials, it's full of pain, it can get messy. And James is saying, listen, you're gonna have trials. Not only are you gonna have trials, he says, he kind of ramps it up just in case you weren't already depressed enough. He says, you're gonna have trials of various kinds. <laughs> in other words, you're gonna have a lot of different kinds of trials. So you're gonna have stuff that's coming to you from all different directions in your life. So you may have health trials. Before you even get out of that health trial, man, you may step into a relational trial or a financial trial or a spiritual trial or a trial of doubt or whatever it is. See, I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're rich. I don't care if you're poor. I don't care if you're a black, brown, white, Republican, Democrat. You are going to walk through some storms in this life. And I'm just telling you, man, there are a lot of pastors, a lot of churches out there that are, that are preaching kind of what I would call a, a fluff gospel. And listen, they're doing the saints no favors by just teaching us that, listen, if you just follow Jesus, he's gonna take, take away all of your problems, he's gonna fix all of your relationships, and he's gonna take care of you financially, and then you're gonna die and you're gonna, gonna go to heaven. The problem with that is that is a half truth, right? If you're in Jesus, when you die, you are gonna be with him. You're gonna go to heaven. That's really good news. But your life on this planet is not going to be easy. There's nothing about this life that's easy. I say this all the time, man. The Christian life is the best life, but y'all, it ain't the easiest life. It's not even close to the easiest life. Listen, if you want an easy life, I'm just gonna tell you up front, don't follow Jesus. All right, you can just go be a Buddhist, go be a you know, whatever you want, agnostic, atheistic. If you want an easy life, don't follow Jesus. But if you want the best life, if you want the life with the most purpose and the most meaning and the, the biggest adventure and the ability to be a part of something that's so much greater than yourself, you need to know and follow Jesus. I mean, Jesus himself, doesn't he say in John's gospel, hey, listen, in this world, you will have what? You're gonna have trouble. Jesus says this to us. He tells us up front, you follow me in this world, you're gonna have trouble. But he gives us a really beautiful promise on the end of that, right? He says, but take heart because I have overcome the world. See, Jesus doesn't promise to remove us from the pain and the trials and the suffering of this world. He actually promises us something better. I want you to look at verse three as James continues. He says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, here's the really good news. James doesn't just leave it as, hey, life is hard. It's gonna kind of stink a lot of the time. Just suck it up. There's no purpose in the pain. Just be depressed. Just grin and bear it. It's the way it is. No, he doesn't, he doesn't leave us there. He says, look, man, you are, you are gonna go through hard times. That's a fact. 
You're going to suffer in this life. It's not always going to make sense. Sometimes it's going to be really messy, but you got to understand if you know Jesus, God is doing something in each of those trials in your life. He's doing something to make you, to form you more into the image of Jesus, to do something good in your life. So when James says, hey, uh, you got to know that the trials in your life are the testing of your faith. That word in the original language he uses for testing, it's only used twice in the New Testament. Peter uses it in 1 Peter once. James uses it right here. And it's this idea of a, like a goldsmith or a silversmith. And when they go to work and right, they, they heat up the metal. This is from what I understand. I've never seen this happen, but I read about it this week. You, they heat up the metal until the impurities begin to rise to the top, right? And then they can, they can scrape the impurities off or they can scoop the impurities off. And I've been told that a silversmith actually knows when his job is done, when he can begin to see his own reflection in that silver when it hardens up, right? I also learned that it's really important for the silversmith to stay close to that precious metal during the whole trial, the whole refining process, because if it gets too hot, the metal could be ruined completely, and if it doesn't get hot enough, the impurities never burn out, right? See, fire can do one of two things in our life, right? It can either destroy or it can purify. Two things fire does, destroys or it purifies. And trials, James is saying, are the same way. You can either allow the things that come into your life that you don't want to be there, that are hard, that are painful to destroy you, or you can see them for what they actually are. I found this, I came across this uh, image this week I'm gonna put on the screens for you. I think really paints a clear picture of what James is trying to say here, right? And that, that's, that's most of us, right? Like that top image, especially when we're young, when we're teenagers, when we're college students, we have this vision of what our life is gonna be like. And it's gonna be smooth sailing and I'm gonna get into the right college and I'm gonna find my soulmate and we're gonna have beautiful kids and I'm getting my dream job and have my dream house and all this kind of thing. Like that's, that's our vision. And then you get to slide two and that's God's plan for your life. And it's just a little bit different than what you had in your mind. And it's fraught with challenges and pitfalls and valleys and all these opportunities to grow, things we never would have chosen for ourselves. But God, in his sovereign wisdom, knows that we need to become the men and women that he desires for us to be in our lives. And it's a gift from God. I like the way that uh, the Apostle Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, he's talking about trials, right? Difficulties, painful things. He says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self, our body is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Now listen, listen to how he describes the trials of this, life, of this life. He says, for this, he calls them a light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Listen, guys, trials are real. Hard times are gonna come in your life. But what James is saying is God is at work in those trials, producing something in your life that he otherwise could not produce through easy times. And the reality is, listen, I don't know any spiritual giants in the faith that haven't walked through a few storms. Like everybody I know in the faith world that I look up to, that I aspire to, they've not, none of them, not one single one of them has had an easy life. They've all been through trial after trial and tribulation after tribulation. There's a, there's a reason for that. And so the first point that I think James is trying to communicate, if you're a 
a note taker, write this down. Number one, James is saying, hard life, good God. Hard life, good God. And some of you guys just need to write that on your mirror in your bathroom so every day when you get up, you see that. Some of y'all need to get that tattooed on your forearms. You just, you just reminded every single day, man, this life is gonna be hard. Jesus said it was gonna be hard. But God is good and he's with us, right? And when we realize that when those things get hard in our lives, that God is near, that he's actually doing something really amazing in our lives, that allows us to experience joy. And so when James says, count it all joy, and he's talking about trials, right? He's talking about the things in your life right now, and I'm sure some of you are imagining that one thing in your life right now, that really hard thing, that really painful thing, that one thing that you wish would just go away. And James says, count it all joy. Yes, even that, count it joy. Now, what, what, he's, what he's not saying here is you're always gonna be happy in life because you guys know happiness is circumstantial, right? I, you get a new car and that makes you happy for a couple of weeks until it gets dinged in the Walmart parking lot and there's just a car, all right? You get a new iPhone, it's cool. Got the bells and whistles and that's cool for like a week and then it's just an annoyance buzzing on your table as you try to work, right? Now, listen, I'm, I'm not anti-happiness. I, I like temporary circumstantial happiness, right? Like, I'm gonna be happy if I go home today and my wife Cheryl says, hey, listen, I decided to grill up some filet mignon and um, after that, we're gonna watch a man movie and I'm gonna rub your feet. I'm, like, I'm happy, I'm ha- baby, you pray about it. That's all I'm saying. Just, 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 pray, just pray about it, consider it if the Holy Spirit might impress that upon your heart. Um, I, look, I, I like being happy. I like the temporary circumstantial stuff, Right? But this is, not, this is not what James is talking about. He's not even saying, hey, listen, you need to, you need to fake your joy. Right? Now, you, you all know Christians, right? Church people that kind of do that, right? They just kind of put on the plastic smile as soon as they walk into church. And you know their world was just obliterated this last week. And they're like, hey, brother, how's it going? God is good. He's not saying that. He's not saying, listen, act like you won the lottery when you get a cancer diagnosis. Act like you're about to have a, a birthday party when your spouse leaves you or your kid dies, or your teenager walks away from the faith, or whatever it is. No, he's saying this, this, is a, this, is, this joy is a deep-seated confidence that, man, no matter what I go through, I know there's a purpose, and I know that God is good, and he is with me, and so even though this hurts right now, and it's painful, I know that in the end, I'm gonna be all right. I'm gonna be all right. That's joy that James is talking about here. But even when we put that lens on, those lenses that James is giving us to see our trials as good things, ultimately even as a gift from God to make us more like him, that still doesn't necessarily help us know what to do in the trial, does it? All right, that, that doesn't help us know. Just because we understand that trials should actually give us joy, that doesn't help us know what steps to take when a relationship falls apart or when a job goes away, right? When your supervisor walks in and says, the position is being cut, man, I'm just sorry, it's not gonna exist anymore. Or when your health gets wrecked, right? And you get that diagnosis and you know your life is never gonna be the same. Just because you know that you should have joy and you can experience joy in those moments because God is gonna use those things, that doesn't necessarily help you know what to do next. And so James gives us step number two when we experience trials. Look at verse five. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, by the way, that he's talking to you right there. He's talking to all of us, right? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea 
that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive from the Lord anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now, how many of you have ever walked through a difficult circumstance, a trial in your life, and you're just like, man, I, I don't know what to do. You ever had one of those times? It's like, I, I have, I don't, I guess I should pray, but I, I, I just, I'm clueless. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get out of this. I don't know how to fix this. I don't know how to help this. I don't know, I don't have, I have no idea. I don't know which way is up or down right now. It just feels like really painful and chaos and I have no idea what to do. And that's when this incredible promise from the Lord comes in and James says, listen, God is near. He's near to you and he's a generous God. He's like a, he's like a good father that wants good things for his kids. And so if you need wisdom in the middle of the fire of the trial of whatever thing you're walking through, draw near to God and just ask him. Just ask him, man. I can testify to this promise over and over again in my life. And here's my confession, man. When I try to fix things in my own life, when I'm facing a trial, I usually make it worse. I usually just screw things up when I try to do it in my own strength and I try to figure it out. But the older I get, the more I walk with Jesus, the more I'm learning to go to him in prayer and just ask him, you know, if I'm facing a, a difficult situation, I don't know what to do. If I'm walking into a really challenging meeting and I'm like, man, this, this is just gonna go sour. I, I know this is not, there's no way this is gonna go well. And I just come to God and I just beg him like, God, I don't know what to do. I'm gonna mess, I, I just know I'm gonna mess this up. Will you please, Holy Spirit, will you fill me? Would you, would you season my words and my thoughts? Would you make my words and my thoughts your words and your thoughts? God, would you, if you don't show up, I got no hope here. And I can tell you, I don't understand how and I don't understand why, but I can just tell you that he shows up every single time he has shown up. He is good for his word. And Jesus is, this is just an incredible promise. And James just gives us one caveat here. And he says, when you come to your father who is near, when you're walking through a painful situation, ask in faith, not in doubt. And he says, because this type of person, he gives us a word picture, this type of person is like a wave in the ocean who's just tossed about. They have no control over their thoughts or their emotions. They're just kind of along for the ride. He says, don't be that double-minded person. And the picture that came to my mind as I was studying this week is when Cheryl and I got, got married, uh, we went on our honeymoon to, to Key West. And um, that you know how these resorts are, right? They've got a list of excursions, right? That you can pay whatever and go on these things. And so the excursion that we picked was snorkeling, right? And I was excited about that because I'd been snorkeling once before and it was an amazing experience. I just kind of figured it'd be right off the shore because that was my other experience. And we get in this boat and the boat captain just drives us out miles and miles into the ocean and the water's getting choppier and choppier. And I'm like, good Lord, when are we gonna get there? I, I'm, I started to feel sick. Cheryl looks at me and she's like, you are green right now. And I'm like, I, yeah, I feel like hurling. Like, I, this, this is not good. And so I was miserable for like three hours on this boat and get in the water and, and, and swim around for a little bit and I'd feel better. We got back in the boat. It's like a 45 minute ride back to the shore. And I'm telling you, man, I, I got back on the shore and I looked like a drunk sailor, right? I stepped back and it felt like everything was moving. 
Even though I was standing still, so I felt kind of like I was going uphill, but I'd go uphill and I'd stumble backwards and I'd try to go left and I'd stumble right. I just could not get my equilibrium and I felt horrible and sick, right? And I think this is a picture that James is painting for us here, right? A double-minded person is the person who a trial comes in their life and then for a moment they're like, man, I'm, I'm gonna trust God. And then they kind of stumble and like, no, this is harder than I thought. I'm, I'm gonna trust in myself. I'm gonna trust in the world. And they're like, no, I'm gonna trust God. I'm gonna trust his word. No, I'm, I'm mad at God. I'm angry at God. I'm gonna follow God's word. No, I'm gonna follow the advice of my unbelieving friends or the unbelieving society and culture. I'm gonna press into Jesus. No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna press into my own sin. And James is saying, no, 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 no. You don't, you don't come to your father that way. He's a good father and he wants to be near to you. Come to him, trust him. And so the second truth that he gives us is number two, when life gets hard, run to God for wisdom. When life gets hard, run to God for wisdom. Don't run to yourself. Don't turn to yourself. Don't go to Google. Certainly don't go to your, your friends or look at society or the world. Understand that God delights in giving you wisdom to come to him in faith, believing that he is a good father and that he is gonna give you the next step in your journey that you need. All right, verse number nine, he continues on. He says, let the lowly brothers, he's, he's talking about possessions now, so this is a brother or sister who's experiencing poverty. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat, withers the grass and the flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also would the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. So now James begins to give us some concrete examples of trials and it's not exactly what I would have expected, right? He actually holds up the trial of poverty and the test of wealth. And I think the reason he does that is because listen, when you're poor, the temptation is to step into the sin of envy, of jealousy, of perhaps trying to pursue material things through dishonest gain. But when you're wealthy, when you're rich, the trial for you oftentimes is a temptation towards pride. It's a temptation towards arrogance and dependence on self instead of dependence on God. And we begin to believe, I did this. I earned this because I'm so smart. I'm so brilliant instead of knowing, no, 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 no. This is a good gift from God. So we kind of push away from the relational table with the Lord. We begin to depend on ourselves. And James is saying, listen, you gotta be careful. There's a trial of poverty. There's also a test of wealth. And if you wanna pass, you gotta be walking closely to Jesus. This reminds me of Proverbs 30 incredible prayer. Have you ever prayed a prayer like this? Watch this. Here, here's the prayer. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? That's independence, right? That's pride. That's arrogance. Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of God. Listen, both poverty and riches are a test. They are a trial. And James is saying, listen, if you're a poor Christian, your pain in this world is as bad as it will ever get for you. If you know Jesus, this world, the pain that you experience in this world is as close to hell as you will ever get. Right? Glory awaits the believer, right? Whether you're poor or rich. But he also gives a warning. Hey, rich brothers, rich sisters, don't get arrogant. Don't get prideful. 
Remember that this life is quickly passing by. It's like a flower in the field, man. It's there in the morning. The sun comes out, scorches it. By darkness, it's dead. And listen, you're taking none of it with you. So boast in Christ, not your riches. Live generous, kingdom-focused lives. And so what James is doing is he's really trying to give us the proper perspective here to realize, hey, poverty, riches, whatever station you're at in life, it's an opportunity to grow in God. Verse 12, he continues, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So here's truth number three. Believer, don't give up when the heat gets turned up. I think that's what he's saying there. Christian, don't give up when the heat gets turned up. Hang on. James is saying, listen, I know it's hard. I know it's frustrating. I know it hurts. I see your tears. I know it doesn't always make sense. Keep running the race with Jesus. Don't bail out. Because in the end, it will all have been worth it. Right, that day when Jesus puts the crown of life on your head and he invites you into eternity and the new heavens and the new earth forever. Listen, you're not gonna have any regrets about the temporary pain that you experience in this short life. So have the, the right perspective. Life is gonna be hard. The heat is gonna get turned up. But don't turn away. Don't run away during those times. Don't give up. Verse 13. He says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. Sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Now here's another trial, the trial of temptation. We don't typically think of temptation as a trial, but James says that it is. And I want you to understand, the scriptures seem to be very clear. I know this makes some people uncomfortable. The scriptures seem to be clear that God does test his people. That God does specifically sometimes design, engineer, allow his people to walk through really hard, really painful, really awful things. But what James is saying here is, listen, God never ever tempts his people with evil or sin. He never, not once, has ever tempted anyone with evil or sin. Like that, it's never from God. And the reality is we are, as you guys know, we are fallen, broken, what the Bible calls sinful human beings. And we have this weird, odd propensity to blame shift, don't we? And we've been doing it from the beginning of time. You go back to Genesis chapter one, right? The first human beings ever created. Right after the fall, God comes back and he says, Adam, what have you done? And what does Adam say? The woman you gave me. And Eve's right there pointing at the snake. <laughs> like, everybody's like, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. Don't blame me, man. And we do the same thing, don't we, with our sin today? Don't we? Well, I was, I was born this way. This is, this is just a way... Way, this is the way I am. Like, of course I have a temper problem. I'm Irish. What would you expect? That this is part of my DNA. Or if you're a man, right? We got this goofy sentence. Boys will be boys, right? As we excuse our sexual promiscuity. As if being born with a certain propensity to a certain sin justifies me indulging in something that God is clear is not good for me. And James is saying, don't you ever Blame God for your temptation or your sin. 
He is not tempting you. So if it's not God that's tempting us, James, where, does he, where do these temptations that we all, by the way, wrestle with, where do they come from? He tells us. He says, listen, when you are tempted, you are, it's like you are lured or enticed away. And it's like, like this picture of a fish, right, looking at a baited fish hook, right? It's like, mmm, that worm looks really good. Big, fat, juicy worm. I'm really hungry right now. I think that thing's really gonna satisfy me, right? That, that's kind of the idea, the word picture that James is giving us, right? We are lured, we are enticed away by what? He says, by your own desire. And James gives us really, honestly, a dark graphic picture of a pregnancy and a stillbirth, right? He goes, hey, listen, when you, when you choose to indulge in that temptation towards sin, instead of rejecting it, what happens is the sin conceives in your heart. So it's this idea of a, a baby, right, being formed in its mother's womb. And then when that, that sin kind of is conceived, then it gives birth to sin, James says. And then when that sin is fully developed, right, it brings forth death. It's this idea of a, of a stillbirth, right? And if you've ever experienced that tragedy in your life, man, I have no idea how hard that is. And I'm so sorry that you went through that. And, but James is saying, listen, this is what sin is like. Something that we thought was gonna be so awesome and so exciting and so life-giving and was gonna bring us joy, it ends up in tragedy and sadness and death. That's what sin does. It promises us life and joy and satisfaction, but we take the bait and it ends up in destruction and death. And James is warning us here to guard ourselves from temptation towards sin and certainly never, ever, ever to blame God for our temptations towards sin. Now here's, I think I got a pretty good visual image of what James is saying here. This is a picture, I think, of what sin is like, right? We, we kind of see the ocean or we see the lake and we're like, man, it's a hot day. That cool water's gonna feel so good. I'm gonna get in there and I'm gonna feel refreshed and I'm gonna feel relaxed and I'm gonna feel awesome and this is gonna be fun and the sun is shining and all the while, right beneath the surface lurks destruction and death that we can't even see, but it is very much there. And James is saying, brothers and sisters in Christ, be careful. Be careful with that temptation. Don't take the bait. There's a hook in there that's gonna destroy your life. And understand, that is not from God. It is never from God, right? We can't use excuses like I was born that way. No, 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 that is not from God. That is from your own sinful flesh. And finally, James begins to make a case as he closes this part out for the goodness of God, right? Look at verse 16. He says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He's saying, listen, there's a lot of things in this world, a lot of things in this life who will change. Things will change, things will shift, things will let you down, but God is not that way. He is always the same, past, present, future. He is always good, he will always be there for you. Verse 18, of his own will, he brought us forth. That's language for salvation. He willed us to be saved by the word of truth, that's the gospel, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So James is saying, hey listen, in the trials, the temptations, in the dirt of a messy life, we got, we got to understand that one temptation that could come our way when things get really hard is a temptation to walk away from God. Have you ever experienced that? Man, things just get really hard, harder than you think they should be. 
And James knows that our temptation, when the fire gets really hot, could be to turn our back on God and to walk away. And to say, you know what? Man, this is too hard. This is, this is not what I signed up for. <laughs> when, I, when I decided I want to follow Jesus, this is not what I signed up for. So maybe God isn't as good as I imagined that he was. Maybe he doesn't care for me as much as I thought he did. Maybe he doesn't love me as much as I hoped that he would. Maybe he's not even out there. And listen, I'm telling you as a pastor especially, one of the biggest tragedies I've seen in my life in ministry is people walk away, who walk away when it gets hard and they absolutely miss out on the blessing that God wanted to do and could have done and would have done in their lives. And James is just reminding us here, no, beloved, God is good. He's not evil. He's not out there tempting you. He's not trying to, trying to lure you into a trap so he can smack you with a baseball bat. God is good. He's a good father. Every good thing we have in our lives, just think of something good in your life right now. Maybe you're sitting by one of your greatest blessings, right? Your family, your, your spouse, a good friend, whatever it is. He's saying, listen, everything good in your life, it, it comes from God. It's a gift, a love gift from God to you. And James says, hey, listen, you want, you want proof? Here's the proof. He says, God has brought us forth, that is, God has saved us by the word of truth, that's the gospel, as, listen, he says, the first fruits of his creation. Meaning that one day, especially if you've read the book of Revelation, you know what I'm talking about. One day, the promise is Jesus is gonna return and he's gonna restore and he's gonna redeem all creation. Right, he's gonna right all wrongs. He's gonna make every sad thing come untrue. He's gonna wipe away every tear. Every injustice is gonna be obliterated. All creation is gonna be restored for all eternity. It's gonna be awesome. And James says he started that restoration process with us. We are the first fruits of this new creation. We are new creatures in Christ. And as such, our lives now, for those of us who know Jesus, we love Jesus, we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, our lives should now serve kind of as signposts towards the goodness of Jesus. So listen, friend, you want, you want proof, you want evidence that God is for you, that God is with you, that he will never abandon you, that he's working all things, even the painful things for good in your life. James says, look no further than the cross and the empty tomb, right? That's, that's the gospel. Listen, friend, God has already taken care of your biggest trial. Did you know that? He's already taken care of the biggest problem you will ever face in your life. And that's the problem that we were, listen, all of us, me included, we were all separated from a perfect and holy God by our own sin. And there was no way for us to get to God. And when there was no way for us to restore that relationship with our creator, he made a way for us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus to be restored to our creator so that we could now experience an abundant life in this world and the world to come, even in the brokenness and the trials and the pain. And so here's the last point that I think James is trying to give us this morning. Number four, God is good, y'all. God is good. He's giving us the hard stuff. Like, yeah, it's gonna hurt. Yeah, it's gonna be painful. It's gonna be really stinky sometimes. But you gotta know, you gotta cling to the truth that God is good. Friend, you can trust God. You can rely on him. You can press into him. You can go to him for wisdom. He will never tempt you with something that is bad for you. 
He will never tempt you with evil or sin. He is a good father. And so as we close, I just want to put three questions on the screen for your contemplation. If you want to write these down, write them down. You want to take your phone out, snap a quick picture, do that. But I want you to consider these things this week in light of what James has just given us in chapter one. The first question is this. What trial do you need to start seeing as joy in your life this week? What's that one thing? And, I, and I'm just imagining God is probably already bringing that thing to your mind right now. What is that one trial in your life, man, that you've just been angry at God about? You've been upset that God hasn't been answering that particular prayer? You're mad that he hasn't removed that thing or that person or whatever it is from your life. What trial do you need to begin seeing as joy in your life, as an opportunity for God to do something incredible in your life to shape you and mold you to be more like his son, Jesus. The second question is this, what temptation do you need to walk away from this week? What temptation do you just need to push away from this week? Remember that picture of a, a baited hook, the fish that swims up and he's kind of considering whether to take the bait or not? That's where a lot of you are right now. Just kind of sniffing around the bait, Maybe it's a sin that you've been struggling with for a long time. Maybe it's a sin you've been struggling with for, for years even. And James is telling you, swim away. There's a hook in there. And it's gonna, it's not, it's gonna destroy you. It's gonna lead you to death and destruction. I know it looks good. It looks tempting. It looks like it's gonna be awesome. It looks like it's gonna satisfy you. It will destroy you. So what temptation do you need to push away from this week? And then lastly, man, how can you press into God's goodness this week? That's what James is saying there at the end, right? God is good. He's a good father. Everything good in your life, man, when you wake up and you breathe air into your lungs, man, that is a gift from God. When you walk outside and the sun is shining and the birds are singing and the rays are shining on your face, man, and life feels all right and has it how, it, how it should be, that is a gift from God, the people in your life. The things that God gives you, those are all from him. He is good. He is a loving God. And a lot of us, man, we have this weird idea, this caricature of God in our minds that he's this angry old man in the sky with a baseball bat just waiting to whack us over the head whenever we mess up. That is not the picture of God we get in scripture. He's a good father and he loves you and he's proved it to you by sending his son to live a life of perfection on this earth for you, to die for your sin. He raised again on the third day to give you life now and forever with him. So listen, guys, life is hard. Life is hard, but God is good. And so let's run our race all the way to the end, all the way to that last day when we see Jesus face to face and he places the crown of life on our heads. And on that day, I promise you guys, on that day, it will have all been worth it. Every trial, every pain, every struggle, every tear, every sleepless night in that moment will absolutely fade away. And so let's run to the very end. Let's chase hard after Jesus for his glory, for our good, so that others might know that life and hope are possible in Jesus. Let's pray and then we're going to sing. Heavenly Father, we come to you. We're grateful for so much. Will you forgive us for the times, God, where we're not grateful?
for your good gifts in our lives, for the times that we complain and we whine and we moan. Would you help us to see even the trials in our life as a good gift from a good father? Not as obstacles, but as opportunities to grow in our faith, to go deeper with you, to learn more about your faithfulness in hard times, to learn more about your nearness and your presence when we feel all alone. Would you help us to embrace those trials, to count them as joy because we know who's in control of all of it and that you're good and that we can trust you. And God, would you help us this week to push away from temptation? And for each of us, man, that, that's probably something different. For some of us, maybe it's looking at stuff on our phone, our computer, when nobody's around, we shouldn't be looking at. Maybe it's a running to food or drink or substance to find satisfaction and comfort instead of running to you or I don't know, maybe it's pride or gossip or envy or, or whatever it is, God, that is just kind of trying to tempt us and lure us away. God, would you help us to see the shiny hook underneath the bait this week? To know that none of that is from you. It's not for us. It's not good for us. Would you give us the wisdom to swim away when those temptations come our way this week, God? And God, would you help us to just press into your goodness? Would you help us to realize, not just intellectually, but deep down in our heart and our soul, would you help us to realize that you are a good God, that you're faithful, that you're just, that you care about us, that you want us to draw near when we're in the fires of life, that you wanna give us wisdom, you wanna help us out. And so would you help us to press into the nature and the character of who you are this week, God, and we pray and we ask all these things in the beautiful, the strong name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Let's stand and let's sing.